Hello and welcome to the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. If you wish to hear other audio messages, they are available for free at our website and also as podcast or iTunes. Look for us in the Apple iTunes Store under the Latter Rain Ministries for English podcasts or Ministerio La Lluvia Tardía for Spanish podcasts to subscribe. Does God still desire to do great things during our time? Of course He does. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if God was able to do great things before, He can most certainly continue doing them today. He does not change. That's why we have the examples we see in His Word to show what He is capable of doing even today. But in order to see those great things that God does want to do in our lives and all around us, we need to intentionally look to be a part of them. There are things that need to happen first so that we can witness and be a part of God's work on earth. God wants to do great things, but He wants for you to want to be a part of them. Please stay with us as we look together into what God's Word has to say about this. Let us pray to the Lord together. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, I praise you and I worship you, O Lord. I love you, O Lord God, for everything that you have done, that you are doing, and that you will to do, Lord God, in each of our lives. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks, O Lord, for your Son, Jesus Christ. I give you thanks, O Lord, for his sacrifice and for your love through him. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Holy God, that you always please remember us in your mercy and in your grace. Please forgive my sins, O Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you may help us to always understand your word. Help us to be sensitive, Lord God, to be attentive to what you want us to take in and to, Lord God, to put it in action. I pray for every person listening, Lord God, and I pray that you may show them the great and wonderful things that you do want to do in their lives and through them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our scripture passage reading today is found in the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 11, verse 1 to 9. This is the word of the Lord. Then all Israel came together to David at Hebron, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, even when Saul was king, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord your God said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over my people Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel, according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. And David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, which is Debus, where the Jebusites were, the inhabitants of the land. But the inhabitants of Jebus said to David, You shall not come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. Now David said, Whoever attacks the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. And Joab the son of Zeruiah went up first and became chief. Then David dwelt in the stronghold, therefore they called it the city of David. And he built the city around it from the Milo to the surrounding area. Joab repaired the rest of the city. So David went on and became great, and the Lord of hosts was with him. How is it that we can get to see God's work visibly around us today. The first thing we need to bear in mind is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. 
And even though we are living in the end times, that doesn't mean that we just let things happen and we certainly should not form part of the evil that is taking place. As Jesus taught us, we need to be salt and light in the world. And that should continue happening today. We can't get discouraged or think that God used to do great things in the past. We can't get stuck on the past, on past glories, and let things just fall apart. There's always free will, especially in Christ, where we are free to choose to do what is right and pleasing before the Lord. That is the greatest liberty we have in Christ. You are no longer a slave to sin if he has redeemed you. So we can never surrender. Actually, quite the contrary. We need to fight the good fight as it is written. Bear this in mind also, even though we are in the end times. The Antichrist has not yet been manifested. So the Holy Spirit is still working on earth without any issues, without any interference. Sin is the only thing that interferes with the work of the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't mean that sin weakens the Holy Spirit. But rather what it means is that he cannot work in your life if sin is in control. And that is what the Bible defines as a practice of sin or living a sinful lifestyle. We won't get into this discussion today, but it's something to keep in mind. So meanwhile, and for further consideration, the Bible also says that those that will be left after the church of Christ is taken up or raptured and that will live through the reign of the Antichrist will still fight against him. And so if there will be people that will stand up to the Antichrist himself, then there is no excuse for us. We have everything we need to push forward the work of the Lord, even during these times. And so what is necessary? God's visible work starts to happen through a complement of things. The very first thing is understanding the fulfillment of God's word. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, it says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Now, there is a slight misconception that some people have that think that when you mention the word of God to someone, that this will automatically ensure that the listener will be somehow changed because they were exposed to the word and will be overpowered in some way. That's not entirely accurate. The very first thing that helps us understand this is the concept of free will. God will not force anyone to follow him that refuses to follow him. He will allow for circumstances to happen to help the person realize the truth that they need him, that they need his salvation through Jesus Christ. He will allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction of sin upon a person, which is the notion of understanding sins that have been committed and that this conviction goes beyond what the human conscience can produce in a person. His word, in fact, tries to impact their lives once it is presented somehow as well. But God will never force anyone to believe and follow him. For in doing so, it would then violate the love principle that is the basis for our relationship with him. In love, nothing is by force. Loving God can only happen through reason and decision. Those are the ultimate generators of love. It's not about butterflies in the stomach or chemistry or even circumstances. Loving God can only happen when reason within a person's soul has come to the point of being convinced of the sin they have committed and of who God is and what exactly he has done for them. And based on that reason or rationale, then a person makes a decision. They ultimately choose to follow and love Christ. So God will never force anyone. 
And so God's word is fulfilled in a conditional manner, meaning that it is fulfilled for good if a person chooses to embrace the word of God and lets the word work in their lives the way it needs to, so positive results God intends to show can in fact occur in one way or another. Now the reverse is also true. If a person decides to reject God and his truth, then the consequences of what is written in the word occur. God's word will be fulfilled, even to the smallest detail, in a conditional manner. Let's look at a few very clear indications of those concepts. John chapter 3, verse 16, which I'm sure most of you know, says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him, you understand what it's literally saying? That whoever believes in him, it's a conditional statement. It says, that whoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. But what happens if a person does not want to believe? What then? If the condition of belief is not meant, then they will perish. They will not have everlasting life. So the word is fulfilled without any question based on the condition of the fulfillment of the word, ultimately based on how a person chooses to respond to the word of God. There are consequences depending on a person's response to God's word. Here's another example. John chapter 3 verse 36 says this, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Let's read it again. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. It's self-explanatory, right? Let's look at another instance at the basis for salvation and how salvation occurs in a person. In Mark chapter 1, it says this, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the message of salvation was and is repent and believe in the gospel. And we understand that the gospel is not just the word but rather the person of Jesus Christ. And so if a person repents from their sins and believes in Jesus Christ in the way that the Bible explains this, then salvation occurs. They will be able to enter the kingdom of God. But what happens if a person says, I don't want to repent from my sins, but I believe in Jesus and I want for him to save me. That's a problem because you cannot be saved unless the full condition is met. And the Bible teaches us that just believing in Christ doesn't do it. And how can you really believe in Christ if you are unwilling to do what he says you need to do? The Bible says the following, James chapter 2. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And so true faith in Christ produces good works. And part of the work that needs to happen is repentance and conversion from sin. That's part of what God says we should do in order to be saved and continue doing as part of the process of having a true and genuine relationship with him. And so God's word will be fulfilled but it will be fulfilled conditionally in our lives depending on how we choose to respond to him and how it all works in us. So, 
Does God still love the world? Absolutely. Does God desire to do great things today, now? Yes. Does God want to do great and incredible things in your life and through you? Of course. But that all depends on you and on how you choose to respond to his word in your life and how you choose to follow him. It's no different than what Peter had to do, than what John had to do, Matthew, Luke, Paul, Timothy, and this David who we read of at the beginning, which brings us to our next point. When a godly leader rises, does God raise specific people to do specific things? Yes, but it is all based on a person's decision. David was the youngest of all his brothers when God chose him. But that was because David had his heart set on God in a very different way than all of his brothers did. His brothers had the opportunity just like he did because of all of them were exposed to the same knowledge David had. And by virtue of time, they were all born before David. So they got their opportunities before David got his. So what was different in David? Well, let's read in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, where it says, And when he had removed him, speaking of Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Notice that God himself said that I have found David. God went looking for someone to replace Saul who had sinned greatly against God and failed miserably at the incredible opportunity God had given him, not only to be king over Israel, but for the Lord himself to have raised a holy lineage through Saul so that the Messiah would come through his lineage. And God found David, a man after God's own heart. Could you imagine God himself giving that kind of a reference for a person? God, the Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, saying that this David was a man after his own heart and that he would do all of his will? David was not perfect, but he was truly something special before the eyes of God. David loved God, even in his not so good moments when he did stupid things. But David was sensitive to God. David chose to love God and to repent from the evil he had done when he was confronted with it. That is what God is after. That is what is necessary so a person can be a godly leader. There are no other requirements. There is no seminary or special school involved. There is no real training program for that. Having a repentant and soft heart before the Lord and loving God above all things are very simple things. So simple that very young children can understand it and do it. David was a teenager when God put his eyes on him, when he was anointed to be king. What higher learning or intellectual mastery is there in a teenager? What public speaking or decision-making skills are there? What kind of work experience could have been done when he was selected to be king? Not much. But David's heart for God? Priceless. So you want to see a good example of a godly leader? You can start by looking at David. But of course, Jesus Christ should be your prime example. Although David was special, Jesus Christ is our model. He is perfection and of course, as the only begotten and holy son of God, he is. Now, when we look for the Lord in spirit and in truth, as the Bible says, then we will align with other people that feel the same way. And when there is a group of godly people obeying the word of the Lord, then that's when these things come together in time. That is when God will do visible work on earth, something that is tangible, 
That's what we saw in today's passage. There was David, and then there were these other people that came together with David, and they started doing great things together, and all under the leadership and guidance of the Lord. That's how we, as the people of the Lord, can see God glorified on earth in a tangible and noticeable way. But again, how does something like this start? And how is something like this maintained? It all starts with you, with your own decision to follow God wholeheartedly. What does it mean to follow God wholeheartedly? What should that look like? Well, Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 34, which we have read many times, says this. Then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the soul and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. That is what following God wholeheartedly should be like. This is what God is after. This is God's perfect will. There is nothing greater than this. And like David and based on your own faith and on the Lord, you look to help others that are with you to follow the Lord. You try to become a godly influence. David was very open about his faith in God and he led people to look for the Lord. He led an entire nation to follow God. That's how much of an influence he was. His love for God was never a secret. It was actually a part of everything he did. Joshua was another example of helping people understand that they needed to look for the Lord and he did everything possible within his reach to do that. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 to 16, it says, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. That's how things change. That's how we can be a godly influence. That's how we become the salt and light that Jesus said we need to be. Be faithful to the Lord wherever you are and with what you have. If you're a husband, be a godly one, a God-fearing one, a good spiritual influence, being the best you can be for God's glory. If you're a wife, same thing. If you're a parent, help guide your children to the Lord. Help them understand through your example that we need to love the Lord and that we need to be faithful to the Lord. If you are a son or daughter, no matter what your age is, you may be very young or an adult, be what God wants you to be. No matter what your position is, wherever you are, whoever you are, look for God's will in everything. We need to always remember that it is all about doing God's will. 
And God's will does not necessarily just involve our personal relationships. We can't just focus on being fathers and mothers and children or whatever else that has to do with that. God's will involves everyone around you, even your enemies. For the word of God says that we need to find a way to love our enemies. The word of God talks about your neighbor. The literal meaning of that is everyone around you within your proximity. But through today's technology, the world is practically our neighbor. I hardly know any of you personally, although I have traveled to different places in the world. But you all form a much larger group throughout the world on all continents where I have yet to set foot on. But through the grace and work of the Holy Spirit, I have neighbors in many, many different countries throughout the world. Those of you that listen or read from this ministry have become my neighbors. Are you starting to see how things work? That's why we need to look for God's will everywhere. Matthew chapter 6 verse 10 tells us what Jesus prayed. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to physically and notably look to have God's kingdom be present. Look to fulfill God's will on earth. Why is that important? God's will, his desire is for every person to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants for everyone to be saved. We need to at least give people the opportunity to not just hear the gospel through us, but to see Jesus work in us and through us. It is not God's way to change the world through protest, through rebellions, through war, or whatever else people come up with. God's way to change people's lives is through His ways, to overcome evil with good, to do His will, which is through His love, through the truth of His word, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to pray for our authorities, for instance. It is not God's way to desire evil for those that rule over us. As a Christian, I can never hate or disobey those that are in authority. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus did not burn flags or encourage revolts or anything like that. Jesus said that we should even pay taxes to give Caesar what is Caesar's. Jesus even healed those that served Rome. And what about Matthew, a tax collector, who he even called to follow him? First Timothy chapter 2 says this, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants for everyone to be saved. So don't worry about the times. Don't worry about who is president or prime minister or whatever the authorities are, even if it's a ruthless dictator. Remember that the gospel of Jesus Christ flourished and grew throughout the world during the rule and persecution of the Roman Empire. And no government today compares to the tyranny of Rome. Don't look at your situations or circumstances. Just do what God tells you to do. And because you have learned to love him for who he is and what he has done for you. As another example of doing great things during very hard times is Daniel. Daniel could not have been in worse circumstances. His country had been conquered and devastated by a pagan nation. Israel was left in ruins and ashes. And Daniel was brought into this very tyrannical kingdom as a slave. A person with no rights and no possessions. Daniel was stripped of everything, even his name. 
Yet Daniel was faithful to the Lord during his captivity and his servitude. And God was with Daniel in a mighty way, in such a way that the Babylonian king would come to know and serve the living God through this very humble and insignificant servant. A slave from a conquered and destroyed nation was able to help Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the mightiest empire of its time, to come to humble himself before the God of Daniel, our God, the almighty God, the I am. But that'll happen because Daniel did not give in to his surroundings. He did not become like the world that surrounded him. He didn't even want to eat of the king's food, which was the best in the land, because it was sacrificed to the gods. And so don't become like the world. And if you've gone back to the world or you are coming from the world, from living as the world tells you to live, the path to God is the same for both situations. Repentance, turn away from your sin, from doing what the world tells you to do. Even Daniel, being as special as he was and as fearful and loving of God as he was, prayed like this to God. We see this in Daniel chapter nine where it says, in the first year of Darius, the son of Hasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books of the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord, through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, shame of face, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off, and all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God, to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law, and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all of this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned. 
We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray. Let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, Incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. If Daniel had this kind of heart, what do you think our heart should be like? Are we better than Daniel? I doubt it. I myself am nowhere near where Daniel was, nor David, nor any of those great people from the past that did find grace before the Lord. But if they were repentant and humble before the Lord, how do you think we should be? And finally, this is something else we need to also keep in mind. We will all see death someday. Sooner or later, there is no question on that. And we should ask ourselves individually, what have I done during my time here? What is God seeing me in my life? Am I doing something for the kingdom of God? In Acts chapter 13, verse 36, it says, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. We are all here for a reason for a purpose. And God wants for each one of us to live out his purpose for us, to serve our generation. Do you know what happens when you're not living out God's purpose for your life? There are other lives that are left untouched. There is a void left somewhere. And how this affects you personally is that you did not let God work in your life and through you. We see in David's family that his brothers disappear after David is chosen to be king. There is no great story associated with their lives. There is no remembrance of them. It's almost as if they never existed. They were just there. God cares about what we choose to do or don't do. God cares about what you do personally. The Apostle Paul wrote this very clear warning for each of us in the following passage. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ 
that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The Lord does want to do great things through each of our lives today, but not things that are measured through what people consider great, because that view doesn't really mean much. What people in general may see as great may be a complete loss or waste before the Lord. Greatness before the Lord may not be associated with large quantities or numbers or with things we might see as great. We actually will not know whether anything is great or not until we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But one thing is for sure, if we love the Lord, if we follow Him wholeheartedly, if we look to fulfill His will to do the things He says we should do, we know, we are convinced that whatever we do will be for His honor and glory, and it will be attributed to us through Jesus Christ. Everything that is part of God's perfect will has eternal and secure reward, starting with the eternal life that we receive through Jesus Christ. When Jesus is in our hearts and He is the priority of our lives, we will be able to do those things we were meant to do, those things we were created for through Him. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, but we were made, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for the purpose of glorifying God on earth, visibly, tangibly, so that as many people can come to see what God does and know Him personally. The world needs to see visible and tangible work through us. Do you want to see God move in your life and around you in a very real and tangible way? That's up to you. But Jesus did say, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? When we truly believe in the Lord, then we will look to do what He wants us to do. That is true faith. Let us pray. Lord God, blessed Heavenly Father, to You be all the honor and the glory and the praise. Heavenly Father, I give You thanks, O God, for everything that You truly desire to do in our lives and through us, Heavenly Father, and the way, Lord God, that You want to use us in other people's lives. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks because you want to make us part of your glory. You want us to experience your glory, Lord God, even here, even now on earth. Heavenly Father, help us, O Lord God, to place our eyes on you and to look to do your will and to look to glorify your name on earth, Lord God. Heavenly Father, help us to understand that anything and everything that we do for you because we love you, Lord God, there is a great and wonderful reward that we, can, we can't even imagine, Lord God. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, help us, O oh Lord, to walk in faith, to follow you in faith, and to love you, Lord God, because you loved us and because of everything you have done for us. Help us, O oh Lord, Heavenly Father, to be able to see things through your eyes and to just look to please you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Letter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.